0: Welcome to Hancock Talks, your source for insights about life insurance trends and opportunities with a focus on tactics that can help drive your sales. This podcast is for financial professional use only. It is not intended for use with the public. This material is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide advice. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. Please listen to the important disclosures at the end of this podcast. This episode was recorded on January 9th, 2023. Now, let's get started with our guest host today, AVP and Council Head of Advanced Markets, Carly Brooks.
1: Hello, and welcome to Hancock Talks. I'm excited to be here today as the host of the show. Joining me today is Army Robinson, Chief Advocacy Officer for Finseca. Army has been integral in helping to guide the profession through tax law changes and helping to secure key victories that benefit the profession. Before joining Finseca, he advocated for dozens of clients at a premier DC-based bipartisan lobbying firm on various issues ranging from tax to cybersecurity. During more than a decade of serving the U.S. Congress, ARMY worked extensively with committees on ways and means and financial services. Today, I'm very excited to welcome ARMY to Hancock Talks to share his insights on what the year ahead may bring for our industry, both in terms of legislative developments and priorities, as well as the general economic landscape. Welcome to the show,
2: ARMY. Thanks so much for having me, Carly. It's great to be here.
1: We're excited to have you here, and I always enjoy the opportunity to spend some time connecting with you, armies. So thank you. Let's dive right in. So last year, we saw a lot of economic uncertainty with rising interest rates, high inflation, volatile equity markets after the longest bull run in history, certainly a lot going on last year. The pandemic-driven growth that we saw back in 2020 and 2021 also has started to somewhat wane. What are some of the most significant economic trends that you foresee for 2023?
2: Well, it's a huge question. And if I had the crystal ball, I'd probably be in the financial security profession making a lot more money than Mark Caden pays me as an advocate on your behalf. But I think there's some really interesting things coming. I think continued volatility, continued rising interest rates, as we joke in planning for our advanced markets meeting in the end of March, there are planning techniques and tools that you may not have used in 20, 25, 30 years because we haven't had this situation in forever. And if you join the profession since then, you may never have used them. And I think some of that volatility is going to be continued. And so the non-correlated asset Tools that we have at our disposal in the financial security profession are going to continue to be very popular. It's just going to be convincing clients to part with cash flow, right? There's a cash flow crunch that definitely affects the market. You know, being your advocate, and we love John Hancock, who is so supportive of all our mission at Finseca, I always connect things back to the policy dynamic. And so I'm sure you all saw what happened in Britain last year when you had the transition of prime ministers and Liz Truss came in and the underlying economic dynamic of that experience, making Liz trust the shortest prime minister, I think, in history of Great Britain, was the a punishment from the bond markets, right? And the bond markets hadn't punished a government of a first world country in like 15 years for fiscal irresponsibility. And Carly, you know, we know something about fiscal irresponsibility in this country because we constantly spend uh, more than we take in. And it'll be really interesting to see when and whether that bond market reaction occurs in the United States. And of course, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but the U.S. debt limit is a major event that will occur in 2023 that can affect all the planning that we do on behalf of clients.
1: Absolutely. And I think a lot remains to be seen as it relates to the general economy. And you point out, I think I've actually heard you speak on this issue before, Army, as it relates to the market almost correcting itself after things like pandemic-infused fiscal spending and things of that nature have really driven the economy and the deficit upwards. So I think as it relates to this year, a lot does remain to be seen. Interest rate volatility in particular was one thing we spent a lot of focus on in our advanced markets team and talking around planning strategies that leverage interest rates. And to your point, sometimes what's old is new again, I think, as it relates to interest rate planning in particular and creating flexible plans for clients. So certainly will be an interesting year as we approach some of these issues heading into 2023. So, Army, you mentioned your advocacy efforts for FINSECA, and, and likewise, we, we really appreciate all the great work FINSECA does on behalf of our profession. And your mission is financial security for all. And one thing you often talk about is the protection gap that Americans face how might those economic obstacles impact customer decisions to buy life insurance? So in particular, I think it's really a stark reality that we see the middle class being hit particularly hard by things like inflation, where if you're concerned about the price of things, you know, gas at the gas pumps or groceries at the grocery store, even though we may know the clients have a need for the products and services that we offer, how can we as an industry be better prepared to help address some of those challenges? And what are some of the things that you're working on?
2: Yeah, so let's be clear. The Limor says the protection gap is 12 trillion dollars. That's not a sales opportunity. I'm not sure what kind of marketplace you'd expect, but there's a phenomenal need. And I think as we move down, you know, we think in in Washington of distributional scale, right? Like so you think of it as high net worth, ultra high net worth, down to middle market, mass mass affluent. There's all kinds of different industry terms, but as you move down the income and aggregate wealth spectrum, that cash crunch to deploy gets harder and harder for anyone. But I think that's where the Ernst & Young study that Mark and I and the Finseca team talk about all the time, right? If you haven't seen it, we can send it around. It proves empirically on a math basis that taking 30% of your savings dollar, 30 cents on the dollar of your savings increases lifetime outcomes in retirement and in legacy. That's true for everybody. And we all know clients who make seven figures who don't have two nickels to rub together because they're totally debt leveraged living beyond their means. Financial security is not a wealth dynamic. It can occur in the lowest quintile and the highest quintile, and there's absences in both places. And so finding a way... To carry forward that message and help people. And like I talked about earlier, right, the non-correlated asset is a huge part of that. Building permanent life and annuities, which is what that 30% in the EY study talks about, are critical elements to a financially secure holistic plan, which is what the profession is all about, Things like the Secure 2.0 win, right? I know not everyone in the profession was enthused about Secure 1.0. I got lots of IRA rollover and legacy calls and, and dynamics. But in the aggregate, these two bills, Secure 1.0 2019, Secure 2.0 just passed and signed by President Biden at the end of last year, will increase the economic and financial security of the American people. And having more people save earlier will increase the number of people who have the money to do planning with a professional, a financial security professional, in the aggregate over time, right? If you actually take that student lending matching provision and start getting your employer match at 22 by the time you're 32, your family is going to have a lot more money and a lot more need for assistance in managing it. And so that's a really big deal. I mean, some of the key provisions I see, Carly, that'll have a more immediate impact on the profession from Secure 2.0, obviously the increased RMD piece, but there's a bunch of catch-up contribution provisions in there, right? Increased catch-up contributions above 50, increased catch-up contributions above 60, and then... The fact that beginning in 2024, they're all Roth, right? So a ton of our profession's work is about tax management and tax planning. Well, that shift will be meaningful to people. And then the other interesting one is the provision allowing 529 rollovers, in certain circumstances. So you're able to take that if you know, you've know you got a client who didn't spend it all, their kid got a scholarship. Now there's a provision that allows them to enhance their long-term retirement security by rolling over parts of that 529 account, which is another interesting client conversation starter to have with different people.
1: It's a great point. And Secure Act 2.0, I think is just another example of something that you know, we saw Secure Act 1.0, as you call it, that really was sort of groundbreaking where we hadn't seen that level of retirement plan legislation in many, many years. And it was a large effort that was bipartisan in nature. And I think the reflection of that is that there is a lot of really, really good public policy in both the original Secure Act as well as this new Secure Act 2.0. And I know FinSeco was really involved in some of the advocacy around getting that passed. So all really is reflective of the great work that we all do.
2: Yeah, it's a great thing that there's so much bipartisan energy around what it is we do as an industry and a profession. And we need to, we work closely with the ACLI, with John Hancock and others to really push that effort. And it's really important, right? As I say to our folks in the Koli Boli marketplace, it is not a naturally occurring thought that a business should be able to own life insurance on its senior executives, but there's a really good story to tell but we have to tell that story, right? So there's a lot of education, right? The inside buildup of a life insurance contract is no more a naturally occurring thought to the average person on the street. And that's from whom we elect our leaders. So we have to teach them.
1: Exactly. It starts really from from the ground, ground up. And we do have really unique products that I don't think, to your point, that the average consumer is always aware of all the benefits that it can offer. So. Switching gears a little bit and and focusing in on some of the trends that we're seeing in what I call the high net worth or ultra high net worth space. I do know that the appetite in the market there is still very strong for life insurance products in general. But high net worth clients, too, are feeling some of these macroeconomic factors. And what's interesting to me is that I do think the appetite and the desire to purchase life insurance for some of those wealth transfer and legacy goals hasn't necessarily stalled. We know that we're working towards the sunset of the exemption at the beginning of 2026. But what we're seeing now is that the way we're structuring some of these plans has started to shift in some cases. So for example, with rising interest rates, I mentioned this earlier, we saw last year, some attorneys and clients pivoting to things like private split dollar funding, where you're using interest rate agnostic economic benefit rates in lieu of commercial or private finance loans. What are some of the other trends or ideas that you think might resonate with high net worth or ultra high net worth clients in 2023?
2: So it's a great point, And I don't want to be a broken record, but our advanced markets session at which you're going to be a presenter at least once, if not maybe twice. So it'll be super exciting to see you in March. Uh, but we've got three separate sessions on split dollar of different formats in our breakouts. I think it's a really interesting alternative because it's about that cash flow management, right? You know, why why and whether inflation uh, that we've seen, I've got a great chart I use. Um, you look at the amount the federal government increased its spending over the period from 18 to 22, 19 to 22. And then you look at that boom market that we had uh, for so much of that through the beginning of twenty twenty too, Carly, and there was just massive amounts of more cash in the system, right? And what we've really seen is a is a reduction or retention of that. And the high net worth and ultra high net worth have felt it especially to get to the extent that they are in the markets. And so, you know, if you lost 25% on your portfolio last year, that's that's significant in terms of how much you think you have as a deployable asset. The thing I would say is particularly in that high net worth and ultra high net worth market is I would use the personally the policy conversation to drive it. You mentioned the expiration of 2025, but we had a huge conversation in 2020 and 2021 about wealth taxes, grantor trust changes, taxing capital gains of death, largely due to Finseca and others. Those things never came to pass, uh, but those ideas are not gone. And the one thing I can tell you and a client is- Even when they make changes like that, they're generally 90 plus percent of the time, 95 plus percent of the time, they're prospective changes. And so early planning really does benefit people, not to mention the fact that most of our products are cheaper when you buy them younger. So the delaying even three or five years can make them cost more. I think those are highly dynamic conversations to be having. And I always come back to the non correlated asset piece, right? Like having a hedge. Against that market volatility and that interest rate environment, right? Whether you're doing it with different product sets and the diversification of products that we've been able to see in the marketplace from carriers across the board in all product sets, whole life, VUL, IUL, and others from the 7702 change has really led to a bunch of really interesting planning considerations that can be done with those clients who are in that high net worth and ultra high net worth session. And so one of the other exciting innovations we'll have in March is an actual product review, right? One on whole life, one on VUL and one on IUL, looking at what the differences are in current product offerings and the pros and cons. Cause like everybody's got a different flavor, but that's one of the amazing things, right? Like whole life has had huge changes in what its product offering has been since the 7702 change and the differentiation between carrier offerings and product offerings has really changed a lot.
1: All oh, great points. And I love that you mentioned the, the grant for trust proposals of fall of 2021, because I think all of us were kind of scrambling when we when those first came out. And ultimately, to your point, they didn't come to fruition, but so much around planning in the high net worth space is around planning with the tools that we have at our disposal right now and today and creating some of that urgency and I think there really is in many, many ways, really no better time than now to be planning because we do have those, those sorts of tools at our disposal. I also love that you mentioned tax diversification. I think that in general, there's so much education that can and should continue across the board as to the tax advantages of the products that we offer. We spent a lot of time last year and a theme certainly was looking at internal rate of return on death benefits. So comparing the tax-free death benefit to what you would have to earn on a taxable equivalent asset. And it's fascinating because to us, it's sort of second nature. We know this stuff, but the reality is that a lot of our consumers out there don't. And so I think the more we can continue to provide that education and clarity, the better.
2: Totally. I mean, you couldn't see me, but I was just cheering Carly as she was saying that because I think about this all the time, right? What you buy in a life insurance contract, right? There are lots of different formats, but you're buying the face amount. You're buying the death benefit. You're not buying the premium, which is where the conversation tends to start. And just like at a 529 level or here, like back to the EMY study, that's why that study is so critical and so important to our profession and what we're all about, right? Because- I think the cash flow conversation starts from, well, I may not have the cash flow, but you're still doing savings dynamics with all these clients. And so it's merely a question of allocating it, right? Like I talked to our financial security professional about our plan and how to allocate the first dollar, the second dollar, right? I've got X number of dollars. How should I allocate them? And they all have savings benefits, right? And different tax diversification benefits. And right, you want to diversify across those lines, not just in your sort of stock and bond offering, right? That's the genius of the financial security professional, right? That's what, in my mind, makes us so much greater value deliverers to our clients, to your clients, than just your garden generic stock advisor or wealth advisor, right? Like that holistic plan brings so much greater value over time
1: absolutely and it's it's really just that it's the sort of mindset shift from this is not an expense it's an asset and allocating
2: dollars towards that yes exactly and it has a return
1: exactly
2: right can i just take a quick detour answer the other high net worth thing so of course yeah uh long-term care we've seen what happened in washington the long-term care provision that's in secure 2.0 is not going to be particularly valuable for anybody we can talk about that at a different time. But long-term care, the habit with high net worth and ultra high net worth clients has been self-insurance, or sometimes they buy a traditional LTCI solution. Those are super expensive and not as offered anymore, but that's where I think there's huge opportunity for the hybrid product set that is offered and the innovation that, because I know that's where we are going next, is carrier innovation, right? This is hugely dynamic, incredibly valuable to consumers, right? But here's the other reason all your high net worth and ultra high net worth clients may have to focus on this, right? Just take the Washington experiment. So I call this the canary in the coal mine because over the next decade, all 50 states will have to deal with this for two reasons. Um, one is every man, woman, and child in the United States has a risk to mitigate on long-term care we're living longer and there's an increasing likelihood if you live beyond 65 carla you probably know the numbers that you'll have a long-term care incident. So there's a human need. The other dynamic though is the fastest growing expense driver in the Medicaid budget which is the federal state partnership for the poor is long-term care expense. And so what Washington did was as much about their budget future because as the Medicaid budget grows, it crowds out education, police, and infrastructure, which are the three primary things every citizen wants from their state government. So, this has got a budgetary dynamic. So, if Washington was first, I don't know what you want to call them, the opposite of Washington in the states, I don't know, Alabama, Mississippi, pick your sort of conservative red state, the budget math drives decision making at a policy level, and they will all eventually get there. And so the joke was in Washington, Russell Wilson, the former Seattle Seahawks quarterback, his year one tax liability under the Washington state plan would have been in excess of $200,000. That's just the tax liability for a lifetime benefit of $36,500 that was non-portable. So if he'd paid it and then gotten traded to Denver, he would have gotten nothing right? But that, I mean, Washington hasn't really worked out. They're delaying reforming. But ultimately, if you had qualifying private coverage, your client was able to avoid that tax liability. And so different dynamics, there are 14 states currently considering legislation around this subject. And again, if you get your client's appropriate coverage, then they'll be able to avoid some of that tax liability, if not all of it. And there's a great dynamic and a great planning need, not to mention the fact what I love about the hybrid product is if I get hit by the proverbial bus and go in an instant, my family still gets the death benefit, right, to that planning of assets. And so I think long-term care is going to be an increasing conversation with high net worth and ultra high net worth clients.
1: Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. And it's sort of a platform topic, I think, for a lot of us, because long-term care in particular is one of those things that I think many of us have personal experiences with. And so it's, it's something that we're Maybe more inclined to proactively plan for. And the state programs, which we're keeping a close eye on as well, I think are well intentioned by what they're seeking to accomplish. But the reality is, for many clients, the coverage that you would, even in a best case scenario, get under some of those programs might be woefully insufficient. So I think looking at some of the products on the market as it relates to long term care and some of those hybrid products you meant, mentioned will continue to be a theme for, for us as we head into the year as well.
2: The other common belief, everybody, in America, is they believe Medicare will cover long-term care. It does not, so there's a there's an expectation management piece to the conversation as well.
1: Absolutely, I think education is the theme of our conversation here today, Army. <laughs> Educating our consumers around what is and isn't covered, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, so you mentioned some ideas and things that we're seeing out there in 2023 in terms of insurer innovation, but carrying with that theme a little bit. I do think a lot of this starts at the carrier level and that innovation is key to continued growth. And the great news is there are so many, so many choices out there in the market for clients of all financial profiles. But in the high net worth space in particular, what other trends have you been seeing? What might we expect to see in 2023? Can you comment on that a little?
2: Sure. I mean, I think. So Finseca's position is exactly what Carly said. We believe in a healthy set of carriers. We like lots of carriers, lots of products. They all serve different solutions to particular client planning needs and their tools like anything else, right? They can be applied well or misapplied, but the, the choice that consumers and financial security professionals have to deploy is really critical to being able to craft those specific plans for particular client needs. I think the fastest growing product set over the last decade, and we've talked about a bunch, has been Index Universal Life. And the NAIC is now in its third round in seven years of trying to tackle the illustration wars that have gone on there. And I think they're not done. But I think there is also uh, what I'm told, and remember everybody, I'm an advocacy expert, not a industry expert. But I think. What I've learned from a lot of the professionals I talk to and the industry experts, the carrier reps, is there's a lot of really interesting innovation coming in the VUL marketplace. It'll be interesting to me to see how that gets deployed and adopted given the market volatility we have had. And as I mentioned earlier, I think the 7702 update, which was critical to the preservation of that healthy product set. That was why we in the ACLI advocated for it, has also led to a lot of diversification and variability. Sorry, I didn't mean variable like variable universal life. I meant variability as in the different types and options that have been created across the product marketplace. And so I think there's a lot more diversification that is coming. And I think that's a really healthy thing for consumers, but it also enhances the Opportunity for the financial security profession to help clients navigate that. And let me just plug from my side the responsibility we have as a profession. We believe you are a profession at FINSECA, just like doctors and lawyers and realtors. And there's a certain education. You have to be expert in what you're offering because the clients don't really know, in many cases, what it is, all the details of how it works. And so you got as the product innovation comes up, there is an additional burden on the profession to know how this one works versus that one. And what are the nuances around what you're putting in place for clients so they understand?
1: Well, let's shift gears a bit and talk about the legislative landscape. I know this is kind of your bread and butter. How do you see the legislative landscape affecting planning in 2023? Do you anticipate any opportunities for tax law changes in the year ahead? And what's sort of on the agenda for Fonseca that we should be keeping an eye out for?
2: Sure. So I think the era of divided government has begun again. As of this recording, Speaker McCarthy has ascended to the top of a 222-seat House majority, one of the thinnest in history, uh, flipping just the thin one that Nancy Pelosi had last Congress. So we have Joe Biden in the White House, Chuck Schumer leading the Democrats in the majority of the Senate and uh, Kevin McCarthy in the House. So anything that happens this year is going to have to be principally driven by crisis deadline or broad bipartisanship. Uh, Those will be the three biggest things. And I think everybody is watching the federal budget process and the debt limit, which will come later this year as major inflection points. Those of you who recall, you go back to when this happened during President Obama's term and the Republicans retook the House in 2010, Speaker Boehner was elected Speaker in 2011. And as you mentioned earlier, Carly, there was that fiscal uh, retrenchment that led to the sequester and a bunch of other things. So I think that conversation is going to go a lot this year. I think the opportunities for tax legislation are going to be fairly limited. And I think everybody is sort of gearing up for what happens in 2025, when uh, about 40 to 45%, depending on how you measure, of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, principally focused around the individual side of the code, will expire on 123125. 25 And so I, th- I expect later today, we will know who is the Ways and Means Chairman for the Republicans, and that will guide a lot. But there's a bit of a nuance to our constitution and tax law, Uh, It gives the House of Representatives like quick geekdom on my side. The House originates all tax legislation. And so one of the dynamics between the House and the Senate is I think a lot of people thought if there had been a Republican Senate, we would see TCJ permanence bills flow through this year. Because that's a unifying issue for Republicans uh, as a general matter. However, doing that with a Democratic Senate would mean handing them tax vehicles that then they could strip out the guts and like send it back with something else. So I think there'll be a reticence to do that. There may be tax legislation at the end of the year based on some of the expirations. Uh, There's certain tax law pieces, just like healthcare pieces that expire at the end of every calendar year. And there may be a deal to try to put something on President Biden's desk to address some of those things. But I think it will be Fairly limited unless it's a part of a grander negotiation, not unlike the fiscal cliff deal that Joe Biden then as vice president negotiated with Mitch McConnell back in 2011, 12 and 13 around the expiration of the original, remember the Bush one and Bush two tax cuts? But I think most of it will drive towards 2025 on tax legislation. The other thing, as we've moved into state advocacy, that is a big issue, right? When, when the federal government is divided, Carly, the most partisan influences move to the state's and so where it's progressive policy we'll see it from democratic trifecta states where they have everything lined up as one example michigan has the first democratic trifecta in 40 years gretchen whitmer the newly reelected governor there is a democratic darling maybe a future presidential candidate and so we we're looking at that and what does that bring and so same thing on the republican side you know states like texas or west virginia what do they do The other big thing is obviously the regulatory state at the executive level or the federal level, excuse me. So we're watching, we've been very successful in forestalling a new DOL fiduciary rule, continuing that as a major priority for the association, for Finseca, and for the ACLI. It's been a great partnership there. So that's a big deal. And then there's all kinds of new things, right? Like one of the things that hit my radar just over the weekend, I don't even have a full description of, but like these things will come up. The Federal Trade Commission issued a new rule last week that would ban like 99% of non compete agreements. And so that'll have economy wide effects. And there'll be a whole process that we've got to figure out what that means for the profession and for the industry uh, as we roll forward. And those kinds of things will continue. We're particularly vigilant, Carly, as always, with the Treasury Department. While our Constitution does limit their ability to make major, major changes, so things like the PPLI conversation, right? The tax treatment of PPLI is exactly the same as whole life IUL and VUL. In the tax code, they are the same. And so Treasury can't really touch that one. It requires legislation through Congress, which we don't expect. But on the other side, right, there have been indications that some in Treasury and the IRS want to rewrite the 409 CAP A rules, which govern non qualified deferred comp. That could be a whole Pandora's box or can of worms. Certainly, we're always vigilant around 199 CAP A, the qualified business income pass through deduction. This is one of the things that allows our profession and your clients great planning opportunities around 199 CAP A with clients about cash flow management, DB plans, and small businesses, all kinds of fun stuff. A rabbit hole for today. But a huge part of that win was regulatory and since what one regulation does another regulation can undo and so certainly we are looking at that as well
1: that's great and so i think as it looks to planning ahead for both this year and with 20 you know end of 2025 2026 in mind We've spent so much time focused and really honed in on the state tax sunset, which is certainly important and a huge opportunity for a lot of clients. But I think you point out there was a lot more in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act than just the increased state tax exemption or temporary exemption increase. And so we'll be keeping an eye on and kind of reporting on some of those individual income tax changes that might impact the clients that we serve you know, in the time ahead. So I think those will continue to be pretty, pretty important themes for us this year. Absolutely. So, you know, before we kind of wrap it up, in Washington, things can and do change on a dime. I know you're keeping a very close watch on all things that may impact our industry legislatively or in the regulatory environment. But just out of curiosity, how do you go about setting and prioritizing that agenda? So are you kind of monitoring things and pivoting as needed or how does that what does that look like?
2: Sometimes it feels like a lot of whack-a-mole, like this yeah. FTC thing, Carly. <laughs> uh, but in truth, it's a lot more organized than that. So Finseca has... Our board, obviously, but our government affairs committee or our advocate committee, uh, renamed after our pillar around advocacy, is our sort of governing body. And we establish an agenda every year that they approve and and input to. And we take input from carrier partners, from producers, uh, sorry, financial security professionals. I violated my own rule. I said I wouldn't do it, but I did. Um, And so that helps set the agenda and helps us frame what we're doing so that in general, we don't have to call emergency meetings of our advocate committee all the time. And that runs, you know, it starts with the core tax treatment of products, right? If we don't protect the inside buildup and the death benefits around our products, life insurance and annuities, then none of this really works. And that extends to grantor trusts and all kinds of different wealth transfer tools. But, you know, like I talked about earlier, Coley Boli. like that's a big thing and it, it's got a great story to tell, but it must be told. So, We established that agenda. Uh, The Government Affairs Committee approved it in their December meeting. It'll be distributed at our board meeting uh, later this week. And that sort of sets the frame. But like the Kentucky attempt last year to tax financial advice with a 6% sales tax on services, things can and do come up, uh, just like this FTC thing. And then we have to evaluate them, take input from our members and our partners. And then if we determine, and the Government Affairs Committee, the Advocate Committee determines that it's something we should engage on, then we go to work. And that they do a lot of it that we have a working group, series of working groups, which are just kind of subcommittees of the advocate committee that talk about different topics. So wealth transfer, executive benefits, holistic and retirement planning, standards of conduct, all that DOL, New York 187, NAIC, annuity, best interest. And so there is a lot of different elements and inputs to it. And then we just have to, you know, my, my old boss used to say Semper Gumby, always flexible. Uh, So you just got to, you got to be able to meet what comes at you when it does, because the government definitely takes actions that can affect us on a regular basis.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much. As we wrap it up today, where can our listeners learn more about Finseca and some of the advocacy efforts that you're working on? And how can our listeners potentially get involved with Finseca?
2: Yeah, I love that, Carly. And Finseca.org, F-I-N-S-E-C-A, think financial security for all dot aorg will give you the best introduction. I invite anybody who's interested in learning more to reach out to me or a member of the team. And if you just want to kick the tires and see what's up, like come to the advanced markets meeting. March 20th to the 22nd in D.C. Carly will be there presenting. I'll be there. Come hang out with us. It's a great time. We go to the Hill and explain the value and importance of our profession. Uh, You know, 80 new members of Congress were elected last year, and they come from every walk of life, and very little of it is insurance. And so we have to teach them about the value of what we do. And when we do that through a very sophisticated process, we get better results. And that's been the track record since I've been around. I didn't create the process, but we aim to perfect it every year. So really, all you got to do, Carly, as you have done and been such a great leader, is raise your hand and then we will make it fun and easy for you. And I think there's incredible value to be provided by Finseca, And that's our goal, right? We want to be the American Bar Association, the American Medical Association of the financial security profession. But to do that, we need everybody to join us and help make us better. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Army, for taking the time to join us today. Again, can't thank you enough. Always enjoy the opportunity to connect with you. And I think our listeners will get a lot out of the conversation today. So thank you.
2: Love it. Thanks so much.
1: We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Hancock Talks. For more resources on today's topic, as well as access to more information on how to grow your insurance business, visit jhsaleshub.com. And don't forget to download and subscribe to the show to get new episodes as they become available. Thanks for listening.
0: For the claim regarding the insurance coverage gap is from LIMRA 2021 Barometer Study at LIMRA.com. In reference to the Ernst & Young study, How Life Insurers Can Provide Differentiated Retirement Benefits. Justin Singer, October 2022. This information is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a recommendation of any particular product or is providing advice. Individuals should consult with their own independent professionals regarding his or her own circumstances. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. These opinions are subject to change and there is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. The IRR on death benefit is equivalent to an interest rate at which an amount equal to the illustrated premiums could have been invested outside the policy to arrive at the net death benefit of the policy. Trust should be drafted by an attorney familiar with such matters in order to take into account income and estate tax laws, including the generation-skipping tax. Failure to do so could result in adverse tax treatment of trust proceeds. There can be costs associated with drafting a trust. Loans and withdrawals will reduce the death benefit cash surrender and may cause the policy to lapse. Lapse or surrender of a policy with a loan may cause the recognition of taxable income. Policies classified as modified endowment contracts may be subject to tax when the loan or withdrawal is made. A federal tax penalty of 10% may also apply if the loan or withdrawal is taken prior to wage 59 and 1 half. Comments on taxation are based on John Hancock's understanding of current tax law, which is subject to change. No legal, tax, or accounting advice can be given by John Hancock, its agents, employees, or licensed agents. Prospective purchasers should consult their tax professional for details. Diversification does not guarantee a profit or eliminate the risk of a loss. Life insurance products are issued by John Hancock Life Insurance Company, USA, Boston, Mass, 02116, not licensed in New York, and John Hancock Life Insurance Company of New York, Valhalla, New York, 10595. This recorded material may have been recorded to support the promotion or marketing of the topics addressed in this recorded material. Individuals interested in the topics discussed should consult with independent professionals to examine legal, tax, accounting, or financial aspects of these topics. MLINY 0104235. 593-1.